All right. All right, folks. This is Rabble Rouse and Rich Bergeron. The Tornado Tony Pentagon. And Psychic Tom Padgett. Wow. That's it. And that's our introduction. That's all. That was so good, we're going to wrap up the whole show. Here you do. We have the door two fans to leave on a high note. Yeah. No. We got uh, lots to talk about tonight. We got uh, Adrian Clark is our guest. He is the uh, author of a new book um, about uh, protecting yourself in more ways than one. And uh, interestingly enough, he's got uh, a couple people doing the um, the uh, foreword that uh, we'd love to get on our show. Of course, uh, I think one guy we already had on our show or already had chance to get on my show and never did but buddy mcgirt and uh who's the other guy um uh sweet pea pernell whitaker do the foreword of his book so pretty lucky to have uh those two contribute and uh so we're gonna have adrian clark on the show to talk about that and of course big news dropped today Affecting UFC 200, which is uh, a somewhat cursed card at this point, I think. Uh, big problem there. Uh, John Jones is off the card. No fight for the belt with Daniel Cormier. He's uh, tested positive for something. We don't know what it is. His camp says it's not PEDs. And everyone else seems to think it's not a recreational drug. Because it was an out-of-competition test. It was in June that he tested positive. So it wouldn't have been a cocaine metabolites or anything like that. So is it going to be a supplement thing? Who knows? Um, I haven't uh, you know, do, done a lot of research on it. But there isn't a lot of news on it yet either. <coughs> anyway. By the way, Adrian Clark's full title of the book is Protect Yourself at All Times, A Guide for Professional Boxers. He is a, a Love sp it. sports entrepreneur, author, and professional athlete representative. So, yeah. Pernell Whitaker and James Buddy McGirt did his uh, foreword for the book. Uh, we've had some uh, interesting developments regarding qualifying, uh, boxing qualifying as well for the Olympics, Tony. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, how this has gone, but uh, basically decided this year to allow professional guys to uh, qualify. So one of uh, my favorite names of all the fighters out there, Cam F. Awesome, did not qualify for the Rio Olympics in boxing. He was beaten by a professional. Um, so, U.S. contenders Cam F. Awesome and Paul Kroll and Brandon Lynch all lost their opening fights. I don't have it right in front of me who, uh, who beat him, but uh, it's just one of the things. I, I did hear it was a professional boxer. Pretty crazy. Uh, the John Jones thing, um, obviously that shakes up UFC. Uh, it also puts Brock Lesnar as the, the main event now. This is interesting, Tony, I think, because... Okay. Here's, here's the WWE guy stepping in 
And he is only coming in for one fight, and now he is headlighting a UFC event. And this is a one-off thing. He can't come back. I mean, it's kind of dangerous, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> and, and, and you know, and you know why? Because, Money. Yeah, exactly. Marketability. So, you know, now Brock is going to have some leverage power. He's going to want to do it more, and it's going to be good for both sides, but... Okay, imagine right now if, and um, let, let's look at some bona fide names out there. We'll give a name like Floyd Mayweather. Say Floyd Mayweather came out and said, I'm going to do a one-time only UFC fight. Hmm. Would he or would he not be the headliner? Yeah, probably. Yeah, marketability. Um, you know, say Mike Tyson, 50 years old, said I'm taking a UFC fight, you know, whoever. Right. Bonafide headliner by the um, pay-per-view sales. You bet. Tell me buying that one. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now the main event, of course. UFC 200 uh, has had some issues. Start all started with uh, Conor McGregor, and I did read something today where somebody tweeted to Dana White, "Do you now regret the whole situation with Conor McGregor in light of this whole failure by uh, Jones?" And White just answers, "No, <laughs> no regrets, zero." I think he said. Well, there's been so many rumors about who they're trying to get to fight Cormier. I guess they, I finally just quit looking about four hours ago. Now the latest rumor was Anderson Silva that uh, going to get him to step up. So who knows? That would be interesting. Anyway, uh, Misha Tate versus Amanda Nunes is the co-main event now. Uh, Misha, former guest of ours, she is 18-5. and five. Amanda Nunes is 12-4. and four. Uh, of course, Jose Aldo versus Frankie Edgar is a big fixture on this card. And uh, UFC 202 coming up as well with uh, Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz. There. So, uh, you know, we never know whether Jose is going to get his chance for a rematch with uh, Conor. But yeah, he says he's not going to do He's not going to retire until he gets it. That's the latest thing. Until he gets that rematch. So we'll see about that. Maybe he's going to bulk up to 185 himself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But uh, yeah, Jose comes in at 25 and 2. Frankie comes in at uh, 20 wins, 4 losses, 1 draw. Kane Velasquez back in action as well. He is 13 and 2 coming in against Travis Brown, who's 18, 3 and 1. And we'll have to see which Travis Brown shows up. Because I've seen him do pretty well. And, and, you, and you, know some, you know something else, Bridget? Doesn't this illustrate how. How backwards Kane Velasquez—the trajectory of Kane Velasquez's career. Yeah. Because here's a here's a guy that that five years ago was the man. Yeah. I mean, if 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 he's on the card, he is the main event. And man, I mean, I was just thinking that everyone kept saying how much of the uh, pizzazz is out of this card now, and and there are some some good fights, but uh, the card just doesn't feel right now. Yeah. And and then I and I considered, wow, what am I seeing? There's Cain Velasquez on there, but wow, I, I guess he's got a lot of work to do yet. Yes, to get he that, does. To get that 2010, the, the buzz he was generating back then. Travis is young and hungry as well, and uh, dating Ronda Rousey now, so life is good. 
<laughs> As we yep. know, anything can happen. Yep. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, the other thing is uh, he's come into a lot of fights. I criticized him for coming in kind of like the uh, Fighting Irish logo. You know, the guy with his hands way the hell out in front of his face. And that, that might be good for, you know, a stance to scare somebody, but it's not very effective. <laughs> a couple fights, and if you can just hang in the pocket with uh, Kane, it could be a fight stealer, a night stealer, I mean, uh, as far as most entertaining fight of the night. Yeah, it definitely could be. I mean, it, it, it should be Kane's fight to win. I haven't even looked at the odds, but I'd have to think it's, it's Kane's fight to win, but he just, a defeat would be devastating. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this is an interesting one on the female side. Juliana Pena, uh, seven and two, coming in against Kat Zingano, nine and one. Uh, monster. She had uh, a little bit of uh, absence from the sport due to major knee surgery. Uh, Kat Zingano has also been out due to some surgeries. She had the famous loss there against uh, Ronda Rousey, but has been virtually undefeated. Other than that, you know, so. And untested as well. Uh, Johnny Hendricks also on the card again. He is 17 and four, fighting Kelvin Gastelum, who is 11 and two. T.J. Dillashaw also back in action. He's 12 and three, fighting Rafael Asencio. Asencio, however you pronounce that one. He is uh, 23 and four. Uh, Sage Northcutt also back. He is seven and one, fighting Enrique Marin, who is eight and three. Hopefully this is at his own weight now. Better wait. Uh, and then uh, another one who could be a show stealer, uh, Diego Sanchez versus Joe Lazon. Way down on the card. This is the third fight of the night. Uh, Diego comes in at 26 and 8. Joe comes in at 25 and 11. Guys have been around a long time, seen a lot of wars. And then the second fight of the night. Also, uh, big name guys. Gigard Musasi, 38, 6 and 2, fighting Tiago Santos, who is 13 and 3. And you know it's UFC 200 when the first fight of the night is Jim Miller versus Takanori Gomi. Jim is uh, 25 and 8. Gomi is 35 and 11. So a lot of experience on this card. And a lot of uh, speculation as well that this could be the last UFC card under uh, Fertitta ownership as well. <coughs> Makes you wonder with all these uh, sale rumor situations. We also have, of course, it's UFC Fight Week. It's a big, uh, you know, major fan expo out there in Vegas going on. They've got UFC Fight Night 90 going on right now as we speak. Uh, with uh, Rafael Dos Anjos and Eddie Alvarez as the main event there. Rafael is 25-7. and seven. Eddie is 27-4. and four. One uh, I'm looking forward to watching, uh, if I get a chance to, after it's over. Probably. Uh, Derek Lewis versus Roy Nelson. Heavyweights in the co-main event. Yeah. Uh, Alan Roy Nelson's a heavyweight? Never figured that. No. <laughs> he is quite the butterball heavyweight as well. Uh, but he's he uses it well, depending on the circumstances. Roy Nelson versus Butterbean. <laughs> boxing, yeah. <laughs> He'll be the next guy to want to go into boxing. He'll want to fight Butterbean. <laughs> I don't know if Butterbean can still fight, though. Anyway, Alan Juban, also on this card, fighting Bilal Muhammad. 
Joseph Duffy against Mitch Clark. Mike Pyle fighting Alberto Amina. Mady Baghdad against John McDessie. Anthony Burchak fighting Delano Lopez. Russell Doan against Pedro Munhos. And uh, results already in here for the first four fights. Felipe Arantes beat Jared Sanders by armbar submission in the second round. Gilbert Burns beat Lucas Sajewski by armbar submission three seconds in. Or three seconds left in the first round, I should say. Marco Beltran beat Reg Reginaldo Vieira by rear naked choke submission at the 304 mark of the second round. Vicente Luque beat Alvaro Herrera by Darch, Darch, Darch choke. Is that how you say that? Darch choke. Second round. So that's that one. And then, of course, they have the Ultimate Fighter 23 finale. And Tom has not watched one minute of this show, have you, Tom? No, I'm, I just kind of hit, hit the wall. <laughs> so I'm, I cannot add any comments. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I did watch a little bit of the finale, uh, before the finale, so to speak, the, the final two fights. Um, and uh, it was kind of a uh, sweep for uh, Joanna. Her team just... Uh, Totally demolished Claudius. I think Claudia got like two people in the, the uh, semifinals, and then ended up with I think one by the finals. So we've got uh, Andrew Sanchez in the co-main event against Khalil Roundtree. Andrew is seven and two professionally. Roundtree is four and zero. Oh. Khalil was in the last episode. He was in a pretty brutal fight, but just came back and knocked the guy out with a vicious right hand. Vicious, and and then he was one of those ones that they brought back because someone else had to leave. So another kind of uh, interesting angle. Uh, and I believe they were teammates, uh, Khalil and uh, the guy who fought uh, in the final episode. Then we've got uh, the female side, uh, Tatiana Suarez, three and zero versus Amanda Bobby Cooper, who is one and one. And I did see Amanda in uh, one of her fights on a previous episode. And she's got some pretty impressive grappling and uh, wrestling skills. So, uh, not to mention, you know, pretty decent striking and defense and all that. So she's very well-rounded, especially now with a couple months of other professional training under her belt after the show. I'm sure this is going to be a pretty decent battle. But blows my mind how this lady, uh, Tatiana Suarez, has been through this whole episode of The Ultimate Fighter, and Sure Dog can't find a fucking picture of her. <laughs> this 3-0, Sure Dog's got a shadow for her picture. That's nice. Some major event here. Uh, we also got Will Brooks debuting on this card. He's 17-1. Uh, and one. He's uh, coming into the UFC here against Ross Pearson, who's 19-10. and 10. And that's a pretty tough test. <coughs> Moving on up. Tiago Tavares also on the card. He's got 20 wins, 6 losses, 1 draw. He's fighting Duho Choi, who is 13-1. and one. we got uh, another interesting one here. A couple undefeated guys. Andrew Holbrook, 11-0. And, and Joaquin Silva, 8-0. Gray Maynard, still in, still in action, still going. He is fighting... Uh, Fernando Bruno here. He's Gray Maynard comes in at eleven and five with one draw. Fernando is fifteen and three. John. Yeah, and Gray's dropped dropped down to uh, featherweight for that fight. Whoa, he's gonna be skin and bones. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. 
John Moraga coming in at 16 and 4 fights Mateus Nicolau Pereira who is 11 1 and 1. Corey Hendricks 3 and 0 fighting Josh Stansbury who is 7 and 2. Cesar Ferreira 9 and 5 fighting Anthony Smith who is 25 and 11. And second fight of the night is Jake Matthews 10 and 1 versus Kevin Lee who's 12 and 2. And the leadoff fight Jiang Ling Lee 10 and 4 fighting Anton Zafir who's 7 and 2. That's just UFC this week. I don't even know what else is going on in MMA. It's just all UFC. Everything thrown at you all at once. Alright. I'm sure we got plenty of boxing to talk about, though. Yeah, my favorite. And uh, our guest uh, later on, is, uh, he's got a pretty interesting book talk about he's represented a lot of fighters over the years and professional athletes so I'm sure he's got an interesting perspective on the sport um, and speaking of boxing as well um, we had a pretty decent uh, premier boxing champions card over the weekend Saturday, I believe. If I can find the results. In, I wasn't home on Saturday, so. Right. I did watch it. Just kind of got to jog my memory here with the uh, results. If I can find it. Ooh. Down there in Pittsburgh, as I said, the big fights were in Pennsylvania. Guillermo Jones beat Garrett Wilson by majority decision in heavyweight. Guillermo moves up to 40. I, I knew it was gross. close, and I didn't get to see the fight, but, um, you know, I did hear from Garrett afterwards. And he goes, you know, you can bring the fight to somebody sometimes, but it's hard to beat the opponent and Don King. Okay, so... Ah, uh, the main one down there in Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, Jamel Herring lost to Dennis Shafikov, um, who was very impressive. He kind of kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Beibut Shumanov uh, in his reinvented state, I should say, not his uh, Hopkins and pre-Hopkins state. Mm. Uh, but Shafikov is a shorter, stockier guy. And uh, just more of his looks reminded me of um, Beibu. Look, he's kind of like an Asian Russian, which is kind of weird looking. But anyway, Dennis, uh, unbelievable technique. Just uh, you know, like wind, wound up like the top, perfect defense. All, hands always up at the face. I mean, if you want to watch a perfect example of boxing defense, Jamel Herring had unbelievable reach on this guy at lightweight here. And Shafikov was just Rocky Marciano-like, you know, with his power. He, he just came, but he came from a long distance with his short reach, which is something I thought to myself as I was watching him would be awesome to learn for MMA because of the shorter gloves and, you know, the, the need for that long distance power to get over somebody's glove and, or, you know, to stay. And you're at a distance anyway because you want to stay away from the takedown. Uh, attempts. So this guy just came in 
from the crouch, just like Rocky, and would explode up with these hooks, Tony. And just turn it at the last second. So it would be, you know, like they would say, it's slapping punches. But, I mean, there was power behind it. He was rocking this dude with these shots. And uh, it doesn't say the round here. I think it was like the 10th round or 9th round. He finally chopped the tree down, basically. <laughs> you know, Teddy Atlas was, was really at his best when he said, and here this nasty little guy, he's, led this, he's letting this nasty little guy get inside. Yeah. I mean, it was... Just, just, uh, just a classic case of how to negate someone's reach. Yeah, and I mean he's thirty-six and two for a reason. Obviously, he's uh, he's a very tough character. And uh, yeah, he looked he looked like he really had a good chin too. Looked like he could take some good shots. Yeah, <laughs> something about him had that kind of Neanderthal look. <laughs> and we also and had a uh, pretty decent super welterweight fight. Went to decision. Uh, Patrick. Szymanski, 15-0, beat Wilkie Campfort, 21-2, by unanimous decision. And then the New England native here, uh, Frankie D'Alba, 18-2-2, got a win over Jonathan Perez, 35-14. And, and uh, Kermit Centron got back on the winning track in his comeback, so he's 36-5-2 uh, now, beat Carlos Garcia, who's 10-15 with one draw. Pretty impressive there. That was Saturday. Coming up here, I'm sure we got some interesting fights this week. I know the um, the big uh, Kovalev fight is before our next episode. Oh, we gotta go to page two to get to the good ones. As we're waiting for this stuff to load as well. Um, I don't know if you guys heard, but there was a big story out of Canada. It was all over my uh, Google Boxing alerts the other day. This guy up in Canada got into a boxing match with a mama bear. And, uh, what? Backed her down with one punch. He's a bare-knuckle bare boxing guy. True story. She's got the scratches and everything to prove it. The bear got one swipe at him. First of all, the, the cub came on the scene first. The guy's walking his dog in the woods. And uh, so the cub walks by. Of course, the dog starts barking at the cub. Cub starts screaming. Mother starts showing up. So mother comes in, and he's square off with between the mother and his dog. And the mother took one swipe at him, and he went for the uppercut right to the snout. Hit that motherfucker, well, that mother, I should say, <laughs> right on her nose, bloodied her nose, and she started backing off, went back into the woods, and that was it. True story. Believe it or not. Ripley's believe it or not. <laughs> so pretty interesting. So that guy's got boxing bragging rights for a while. Let's see what the guy's name is here. Bring it up. Is it? Mm. 
All right. So he's from Ontario, Canada. Guy's last name is Nelson. Uh, Rick Nelson, 61 years old. That's that's the other impressive part. Wow. Walking his dog. Sees the bear. Saw the cub. Cried out for mom. And then within seconds, it was a 300-pound mother bear. Came crashing through the bush and got right up on her hind legs right in front of him. And before it could strike... Oh, he got the first first punch in. A right-hand jab. But it, it just grazed the bear's teeth. It gave him bloody knuckles. And then the bear hit him once. And it gave him a nasty scratch across his chest and shoulders. And then that was the uppercut. So it was two punches. It wasn't a one-punch knockout. <laughs> how how old is this guy, Rich? 61 years old. Okay, now, that's called old man strength. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tony, your dad knows a little bit about that, I bet. Yes, he does. <laughs> you know, when I met him, he looks, he looks like he has a good round left in him. And he said, uh, his wife said, he's experienced with bears. He always knew if it came down to it to hit a bear in the snout. <laughs> this is the funniest part, though. Uh, the boxing match has made him a bit of a celebrity at work where he's been given the nickname mm -hmm. Kung Fu Panda. Kung <laughs> 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 Fu Panda. 61-year-old guy, ass-kicking a bear. With his bare hands. Uh, down there in Philadelphia tonight, they had a little uh, press conference about a uh, fight coming up in April. I got it to Tony a little too and, late. And you know what, Rich? I got your message when I was on the train, fully crowded, you know, sweating my ass off um, about 45 minutes into my 90-minute commute home. And that place where the press conference was is one block. One Block from my office. Oh man! Celebrity boxing. Uh, it's basically uh, celebrity just because of their dads, though. Uh, it's going to be Hagler Jr. Yeah. versus Leonard Jr. And uh, it's going to be thirty years to the day, almost, or a few days, two days, thirty years and two days from the date of the original fight. So that's going on down in Philadelphia right now. It's all right, Tom. We've been too noisy for you to film the show, Tony. <laughs> anyway, um, big fight this weekend. There's a couple big ones. Um, but the one on... Uh, it's going to be another Marshall Kaufman event, actually. Down in uh, New Jersey this time on Saturday. It's going to be on ESPN. Also Canada TSN. Uh, we got Mario Barrios, 15-0 super featherweight, fighting Devis Bashiro, who is 39-4-1. Eddie Ramirez, undefeated, 13-0 super lightweight, fighting Jesse Roman, who's 20-2. We got Zank Hazov Turarov, probably not doing that one right, but he's 18-0 at welterweight, fighting Daniel Sousa Santos, who's 15-10. And uh, super featherweights Joshua Okine, 28-7-1, fighting Tyrone Brunson, who's 22-6-1. 
And uh, then we've got the WBO Intercontinental Super Bantamweight title on the line in San Mateo. An interesting card there. We've got Albert Pagara, 26-0, fighting Cesar Juarez, who is 17-5. And, and then it must be another relative of his, Jason Pagara, 38-2 at welterweight, fighting Abraham Alvarez, who is 21-9-1 there. Those are the two best cards on that fight. Keeping it in the family there. Uh, vacant International Boxing Association featherweight title also on the line in California. Manuel Avila, 20-0 at featherweight, fighting Prosper Ankra, who's 24-7. That's up in uh, Catch Creek Casino Resort in Brooks, California. We also have a situation now with uh, Fabio Maldonado has officially uh, appealed the results of his uh, loss to Peter uh, Armelianenko. I know we didn't get much chance to talk about that fight last week. Forgot about that. Just started thinking about that for a second. But yeah, it was a very controversial split decision. And uh, Fedor did not look like he's going to get a UFC contract anytime soon after that kind of effort. No. <laughs> and his face beat in quite a bit there. All right. And uh, Kovalev. Kovalev is the big fight, of course, before the next show. That's going to be Monday, July 11th, over in Russia. And uh, even though Kovalev is based in the United States and out in California, uh, he's going back to Russia for this one. 29-0-1 is his record going in at light heavyweight. He's fighting Isaac Chalemba, who is 24-3-2. It's one of four. Three titles, WBA, IBF, and WBO World Light Heavyweight title. Except WBA is the Super World Light Heavyweight title. Super, because it's super. And there really isn't any, like, you know, super awesome other fight on this card. <laughs> You know, once for another title, other well, couple Asian Boxing Council titles, but nothing too spectacular there. And uh, that's pretty much it for the schedule for boxing coming up. It's going to be interesting, I'm telling you, with this UFC 200 coming up. With uh, now the main event is a WWE wrestler <laughs> coming off the bench. How do you make this up? Yeah. And uh, the UFC is trying to be sold. They're, they're trying to ramp up the value. And, and they keep having problems with these cards. And. Well, it, it would be it would be great to have Mike Tyson uh, be, be on the main event against Brock Lesnar. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> right. Uh, so then, um, the other thing too is uh, I don't know if we didn't talk about too much, but uh, Joanne Calderwood fighting uh, Valerie Letourneau. You know, if there's any, if there's not another reason to hate the Reebok deal, we got one now. Uh, Valerie Letourneau is claiming now that this, this wardrobe malfunction seriously interrupted her whole fight and that uh, for a little while there, you know, she was, the first time it happened, 
she thought her whole shirt had exposed her, you know. And uh, she was very frustrated with the outfits that Reebok handed out. You know, she just was so freaked out about being exposed. She said she lost all her focus and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and actually, uh, you know, this went out, this report went out on my Twitter account, of course. And uh, someone else retweeted it and added a comment. And uh, Joanne Calderwood herself, her own Twitter account, uh, liked it and uh, retweeted it and everything like that. So it was basically saying, you know, come on. It's not, she did a great job. The wardrobe malfunction had nothing to do with it. And, and uh, Letourneau did admit, you know, the last one had nothing to do with wardrobe. The last one, she was really hurt. But the first time, she wasn't really hurt. She was more just blown away by the fact that her wardrobe has, was failing her. <laughs> but it really wasn't. That's the worst part. So she she had to wait till she watched the fight to figure that out. She didn't know as she was there that you know it was it did hold up. But she basically now has to have a meeting with Reebok about all this to discuss. You know, hey, you need to readdress how you're building these women's fight gear outfits uh so yet another reason to say fuck Reebok <laughs> can't even build <laughs> women's shit for fighting uh but that's another thing you know how is an owner going to come in and, uh, and deal with that and make that decision to uh either extend that or reconfigure that whole agreement <clears throat> anyway so whether it gets sold or not, I think depends on as well, you know, how, how this event does, how this whole week does for them, numbers-wise. Uh, you know, obviously it's going to be a big revenue week for them. But it has to be, like, really record-breaking if they want that $4.2 billion price tag to go up any. <laughs> I think they're looking for 5 bill. That's what I really think. That's why they put the 4.2 out there. Somebody will throw in 800 million more, right? Somebody's got to be gullible enough to do it. I, I mean, I think it could be worth that eventually, but I just worry about this value be, being inflated totally artificially by a group of people that's managed by somebody that represents Dana White. <laughs> You got to be questionable about that whole deal. So, and and you haven't heard actually. There hasn't been a lot of headlines about that recently about what they're going to do, whether they're going to sell. Uh, and they did tell their own employees that they weren't going to sell. So, that's what it is. And they got to watch Joe Rogan leave the building, apparently, if they do sell, because uh, he doesn't want anything to do with it if the, if the Fertitas aren't in charge, according to him. Looking for an excuse to retire, I guess. Oh, well. Poor Joe. Anyway. I'll tell you, uh, you know, delayed reaction. Uh, we interviewed a guy, uh, Eric Sousa, a while back. He's a kickboxer from over in the Netherlands. And uh, he sent me a couple uh, names of some fighters he talked about on the show. I sent Tom one of these matches. It was yeah. freaking epic. <laughs> Third round. Uh, a guy 
gets kicked in the face, goes right down. Gets back up, knocks the other guy down. That guy gets back up. And then the initial guy who got knocked down, gets knocked down again. Fights over. All in the third round. Oh, it was epic. Crazy. Yeah, that was that was just a movie. That was just right out of a movie. You very seldom see that in real fighting. Hello. Hello, Adrian. Yes. Hey, this is Rebel Rousing Rich Bergeron from the Fight News Unlimited Combat Sports Show. How's it going? I'm good, man. How are you? Great. We also have on the line our boxing expert. We call him the Rain Man of Boxing sometimes. Uh, Tony the Tornado Pentacal. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing great. Can't complain. Good deal, good deal. And if you need your fortune read, we have uh, Psychic Tom Padgett as well. Good evening, Adrian. Uh, Good evening, good evening. How are you? Good, and I see a lot of good things for your book. (laughs) Yes, sir. Thank you so much. So, uh, book is called "Protect Yourself at All Times: A Guide for Professional Boxers," and uh, you've got, uh, interestingly enough, twelve chapters, twelve rounds to right. help uh, help guys uh, protect themselves and protect their careers, and uh, right. also uh, testimonials from more than forty current and retired fighters about their experiences right. in the business. And um, I actually got a funny story about uh, the guy that co-wrote the. Um, the first part of your book there uh, with Pernell Whitaker, James McGirt, Buddy McGirt. I went to a fight where he was um, training the guy, and uh, he's got the sunglasses on and everything like that. And it was when I was very early in the business. I had no clue who he was, but I knew he was, you know, somebody big in the sport. So uh, he had a fighter named Dat Nguyen. And uh, I wanted to interview Dat. He was undefeated at the time. He was, I saw his fight. It was a good fight. So I go over to him and... Uh, I go to shake his hand, and uh, I think I could get an interview with uh, Dad. <laughs> I have no idea who he was. <laughs> then I'm backstage talking to Dad, and he keeps saying, buddy, buddy, buddy. And I'm like, the only other buddy I know of in boxing is McGirt. <laughs> so I was like, oh, put two, two together after the fact. Like, oh, man, I could have I had him for an interview, too. I actually interviewed both guys. Um... For, for the book. Um, I had a long conversation with that. Um, then Buddy and I um, have become really, really close um, through this entire process. So um, I'll, I'll remind Buddy of that story. I don't know if you remember it or not, but I'll definitely fill him in on, uh, on that story. <laughs> that was classic. <laughs> He was kind of, kind of. It seemed like he was a little bit bothered by the fact that I didn't recognize him. Now that I remember it, but it was funny. Pernell <laughs> uh, Whitaker too. I mean, we never talked to him, but uh, a legend of the sport. Uh, I used to watch him growing up, and I actually knew a kid who uh, worked as a second for him, who was on my boxing team at Norwich University. I can't. I don't remember the kid's name, but he was a big heavyweight dude, big guy. Yeah, I was actually, uh, when Canelo fought Amir Khan, um, you know, I'm very close with um, Kathy Duva, Jolene Mazzone, and the main events family, but um, Pernell actually was with us at the fight, uh, and I got a chance to, to sit down with him, ask him a couple of questions, and um, kind of get how things went for him 
uh, pretty much post his uh, his career. So Pernell is uh, he's an interesting guy, funny to say the least, but very very stern, very to the point, uh, no nonsense type of guy. But it was uh, it was good to meet him, and I got a lot of good knowledge from him. And um, one of the things I really want to ask you is boxing as a sport, combat sports in general, I think a lot of people think they can, if they're a manager or they have anything to do with a fighter, they think they can take advantage of these people because they're dumb. Now, here you are, you have all this perspective from all these fighters. Uh, How can you just totally demolish that stereotype uh, as far as, you know, these guys here that you you dealt with for this Uh, book? Honestly, what the... To answer the question, they're not. The fighters are far from dumb. Um, they just they don't have the same business etiquette that most guys have, and their understanding of the um, sport, boxing being a business, uh, it's not there. But I think that the biggest thing that that we could do, um, just right off the off the bat, um, a lot of people won't like this, but it's to lower. The, the overhead for, for fighters, the, the biggest thing that you run into with these guys is that um, they make a decent amount of money, um, especially once they begin to win certain fights and uh, their name is out there, they the on TV, et cetera, et cetera. But they're paying so much, whether it be for manager or um, trainer, uh, sometimes cut man. Right. Um, I've heard I heard nowadays they've added in strength and conditioning. There's a lot that these guys have to pay for, but if um, if their overhead is cut um, and people start taking less money and you inform them uh, of other things, especially in the sport, basketball, football, baseball, they know the other agents in the sports which do the same job as managers in boxing. Uh, if light is shed on how much money that these guys are getting to negotiate million-dollar, multi-million-dollar contracts, um, the light being shed on that will definitely uh, open the fighters' eyes and change a lot about the the, the sport of boxing. Yeah, I mean, uh, baseball players, football players, they don't they don't get billed for their flights or anything, and 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 fighters have to sometimes fly their whole management team out to flights. Yep. So. Well, I mean, they do get. It's like this. I mean, I, I was I was certified as a National Basketball Players Association player agent um, when I first started my career. So I, I wanted to be the best sports agent in the NBA and represent NBA guys. But usually with agencies, um, you you do kind of start a tab to where if I have to fly out, mom, dad, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, um, it's understood and even written down that. Um, I paid for seven flights and for eight hotel rooms. And once you get your contract, that I'll be reimbursed for those things. That's um, that right there is understood. But what's mainly understood is that if um, a contract is negotiated for eighty million dollars over the next four years, that my agent um, for negotiating that deal only receives two or four percent of that contract. So yeah, I may, I may owe him also for, for seven flights or whatever, but that's agreed upon and it was signed upon, um, once it transpired. But I understand that for my, my meat contract, the big contract, what really matters to these guys, that I'm not being charged 33% or 25% or 20%, right. uh, by an individual who just negotiated the deal. 
Right. That's pretty decent. Yeah, it's um, and it's one of those sports that uh, often gets a bad rap for uh, letting letting fighters take too much damage or you know um, using fighters for certain situations. Uh, obviously, there's uh, you know a big history of corruption with boxing, uh, but um, nowadays it's a lot of MMA fighters are talking about wanting to come over to box because of the money situation yep. and you know you've got this whole Floyd versus McGregor thing that just came out uh, you know and then uh, as Teddy Atlas always says there's been a million funerals for boxing you know a little while ago they were talking about boxing is dead you've got premier boxing champions what do you think about all this stuff going on around in the world of boxing right now in the state of the sport I, I love it I love it for the sport. I mean, I don't. Um, I've, I've seen Al a couple of times um, in my my years in the business. Um, I like the move for professional boxing. Um, I feel that it could be cleaned up a little more, and I also feel that if the the bigger promoters, um, the top ranks, the Golden Boys, main events, um, Rock Nation, if if it could be worked out to those companies are a part of an association. Um, to, to pretty much regulate um, professional boxing, I, I love it for the sport. Uh, I think that's missing the bigger promoters being involved with what the PBC has done. So, I mean, I actually like it for the fighters. They're getting paid more money. Um, uh, how long he could, could keep it up paying these guys that particular purse or whatever, uh, that would be telltale um, in the next couple of months or next couple of um, years. But I like it for the professional boxer because they're getting paid more uh, bang for their buck, um, so to speak. So I, I love the concept of them getting paid more, but I would like it to be opened up to where um, it, it's every pro promotional company from Golden Boy all the way uh, down to the, to the up-and-coming promoter. But anything that's good for professional boxing that either uh, brings more viewership or brings more sponsorships, or bring more money to the professional fighters. Uh, it's good for the the sport. Of course, the competition level needs to to, to raise up uh, in regards to the PBC. Um, it's, it's in my personal opinion too inconsistent in regards to to good fights in regards to competition level. Uh, sometimes you see like Sean Porter, Keith Thurman, like that was a that was a good fight. That was a, a good matchup. Um, the, the matchmaking for that fight was uh, was very good. But sometimes we see fights and it's like, wait, who is this? Who is this guy? Like you're looking at both guys. I've never heard of either guy uh, before. So uh, there's there's things that you can tweak here and there. But that's with everything uh, almost in, in life. But um, I love anything that has to do with the progression of the sport and something innovative for the sport. But if we're going to continue doing the same thing that we've been doing for the past 30, 40 years, um, that they, they gets kind of dried up and, you know, we, we lose fans or we lose followers because of that. So if it's for the sport and it's, and it's innovative, uh, I love it. But if it's going to be the same old thing, done the same old way, uh, I do have a problem with that and I feel that it needs to be innovative. Awesome. Uh, and uh, among these 40 people that you got to uh, talk about the sport as participants, you know, boxers, current and uh, former, uh, can you kind of talk about a couple examples that you uh, really enjoyed, including in the book that were, were really big examples of, uh, you know, this is why you need to protect yourself? 
Um, Chris Bird, um, former heavyweight champ, um, he he opens up the the last part of the book. Um, the last the last round is planning for retirement, and um, it was great talking to to Mr. Bird to get an insight on um, uh, a heavyweight champion being retired and what he's doing now, um, and the advice that that he had to give to the younger guys. Um, of the sport, uh, very family-oriented guy. He's, he's very um, dedicated to his to his wife. He's at the gym. He's holding mitts and, and uh, working with guys. Uh, he, he, he talks about um, some some nagging injuries that uh, that he still has to endure. But um, it was a pleasure listening to him um, talk about how if he could go back to things that that he would change in regards to his career. The same thing with uh, Tavares Sims. And uh, Randall Bailey, both former world champions, uh, both good good guys outside of the ring. But the knowledge that they gave, um, I think, to Tavares opens up, um, I think, round five, I believe. And then Randall opens up um, round two. I, I got really good insight from these guys in regards to what they've learned since their careers are whether it be dwindling down or over with at this point. Um, and then the the advice that they um, wanted to to give younger fighters um, in regards to protecting themselves um, for their careers, um, although people said different things, it all equaled up to to them saying the exact same thing in regards to make sure that you have someone that understands the business looking over your your, your paperwork. Um, um, I believe it was a skill Powell. Who, who said that uh, guys need to view boxing as a business before they look at it as a sport. That was very powerful to me because most guys, they get in and they just only view it as a sport. They, they view it as um, a recreational uh, competition-based platform to where the only thing that matters is the world title. But once you're done, I mean, I've interviewed guys that were world champions uh, some multi-division world champions, and um, not saying that titles don't matter, but what what mattered the most was the handling of the money and being financial uh, financial literate um, of things, and then also being aware of your taxes. So you have to view this sport as much as we love this beautifully grotesque sport. You have to view it as a business first before you view it as a sport, and that was really powerful for me. Yeah, actually, we just had a guest last week, James Krause from the UFC, who kind of said the same thing. It's that a lot of these guys in the UFC, they bitch and moan, but at the end of the day, it's a business. And, and you have to go mm -hmm. in there and realize that you have to sell tickets. You know, right. It's the whole concept of why they promote as an organization that you need to put on a show in the cage. That's right. how you get more money. Mm-hmm. Sure indeed. Kind of interesting. I, um, I, I don't I don't know much about the, the UFC model. Um, um, I know they just sold, of course. And um, Mr. Radner, Mark Radner, uh, was someone that I met in Vegas who became a, a good friend of mine, um, such a mentor in a sense. I'm, I'm only 30 years old, and I believe Mr. Radner has been around longer than, than I've been alive. But he, he he's a guy that the <laughs> um, <laughs> guy that gave me good advice. Um, listened to ideas and told me, like, nah, that doesn't make sense. Or, right. yeah, that's new. I've never heard of that before. You, you should go with that. He's a guy that, um, I honestly, when he walked in, I was actually meeting with um, a former professional football player, 
and the player invited him to breakfast, and I had no idea who he was. And um, actually, that, I guess that was to my credit, because if I would have known who he was, maybe I would have answered questions differently or handled <laughs> the situation differently. But yeah. uh, he came in, um, sat down, and he listened to me talk, and he had questions for me, and I answered the questions very well. And um, he gave me his card afterwards, and he was like, Yo, if you ever need anything, please give me a call or email. Um, and I, I got the card. I'm looking like, oh, I, I clearly didn't know who this was. And then once I talked to Kathy Duva, um, I talked to Rob Diaz, Eric Gomez, Bragg, but some top rank. It's like, wait, you sat down and had a meeting with, with Mark Ratner and didn't know who he was. It, it showed my youth um, yeah. and, and experience in the sport. But been Mr. There, Ratner done that. has been very uh, influential in my career. Yeah, I didn't have a whole meeting, but yeah, Buddy McGirt and me had the same situation. Right. <laughs> but instead of having the conversation with him, I totally said, "Hey, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to your fighter." <laughs> <laughs> stuff. But um, you know, obviously, from your experience with other sports, you know, you're bringing different ideas into boxing. Uh, what do you think is the most important thing that that they need as a sport? Uh, you know, these fighters that uh, that don't understand the business enough uh, and how do you think uh, the the major changes will happen uh, to bring that? Into, uh, ultimately, into you know, in a perfect world, there there's a athlete union or a boxers union that will be started. Um, you know, every other sport has a union. Um, basketball has the National Basketball Players Association. The NFL has the Players Association. NHL, MLB, they all have an association to where. Um, they're not in cahoots with uh, the association as far as the the NBA owners or whatever. They're actually they're the, the counter against the, the NBA owners. Um, that's something that will be perfect for the professional boxers, but um, I think we're, we're, we're light years away um, from that. But what's needed the most now is, is um, the fighters to be educated and for them to be informed on the business side of things. Um, they need to be informed on um, regards to being taxed um, per fight, but then also income tax. If they fight in New York, but they live in California, that's two different set of taxes. That, of course, you're getting taxed to fight in New York, but then the income tax in California, that's a different tax that you will pay. They need to be informed on that. Of course, people always say, well, you know, you're going to pay taxes, but they don't understand how many different ways taxes can hit. They need to be uh, informed on that. Luckily, I, I have representatives from from UBS Financial who are prepared to help out professional boxers understand um, taxes better. Also, with understanding their money, um, it's something. It's a chapter. It's around in the book um, about understanding your money, and it's a breakdown of a million dollars. Everybody wants to be a, a millionaire, but uh, in a fight, once you break down. A million dollars? It doesn't come out to be a million dollars uh, once you're done with it. I mean, you gentlemen, you guys have made money before. I'm not sure you guys made millions, but <laughs> you understand that that you, you're going to get taxed uh, one way or another uh, for the money that you've made. So you understand that if you sign for a million dollars, it's like, okay, what's my overhead look like? Who all do I have to pay? Um, the, the title that all these guys want, most of them don't know. You have to pay to fight for a world title. That's 3% of your purse. That's $30,000 going off of the top. Okay, so trainer, 10%. That's $100,000 going off the top. 
some guys pay their managers 33%. Okay, so net a million dollars, 33%, $330,000 going off of the top. So before you even get your check, pretty much a half a million dollars is already gone from it. Not to mention taxes. We, we haven't even discussed taxes in regards to understanding your money, but most people think, oh, well, I'm, I'm making a million dollars in the fight, and people around them are like, yeah, yeah, you are. But the truth of the matter is, no, no, you're not making a million dollars. You're not taking it home. You're just signing for it. They need to understand that. They need to understand that they need health and life insurance, especially if you have families. Um, the, the sport is getting stronger and faster. The guys are getting stronger and faster, That which means there's going to be more head injuries like there is in professional football. If you have three kids and, and a wife, if something happens to where you get put down and you don't get back up, who's taking care of your family? What policy is put in place to bury you? These are things that the guys, they kind of know about, but no one drills into them. No one informs them on. No one fully reiterates that they need things. Why I may be a one-man record crew right now, but by the time this book comes out, by the time I make the next chess move that I'm going to make in the fall, these guys are going to know um, repeatedly that you need health and life insurance, that you need to understand your money, that you are going to get taxed. You need to plan for retirement right now in your career. There are certain things that these guys are going to be informed on, and I'm going to do it um, religiously uh, and consistently, and I'm very persistent as an annoying young millennial <laughs> is what some people call me. <laughs> well, I actually remember when you put out the uh, boxer, boxer manager agreement, and I watched the whole video and everything. I was very impressed by that. And, um, you. you know, I appreciate your passion for the sport and, and wanting to talk about a union and all that. And, uh, you know, being a manager, usually you don't hear that from the management side. You hear more of that from the fighter side of it. But um, it's very important to me, too, that that, that happens eventually. Um, and I've talked about it with some other people that we've had on the show before. But it's just like there's so many obstacles. There's so many different promoters that are going to buck the trend and... You know, everybody who's tried it seems to have failed with it. Um, but it's just so out of control that you absolutely need it. I mean, I, I don't know if I can watch Teddy Atlas go nuts one more time <laughs> about a bad decision. Look where the guy's going to have a heart attack. Yeah. yeah. Right. Stuff like that. He's, uh, he, he's passionate, man. You, you have to respect you have the, uh, the passion. You have to respect the passion for it. But then also, um, you know, I don't. I don't know if uh, people have really tried, to be honest with you. I mean, I've, um, I think more so people have been either threatened or scared to be blacklisted from the sport. So, therefore, they just uh, decide to jump ship. But um, I'm not poking at anyone. Um, I, I'm, I feel that, of course, I am tampering with uh, people's money. I mean, the managers that are making 33% or whatever, I'm pretty sure that they're going to have a problem um, with, with what I'm saying or they're going to have a problem with the boxer. Uh, manager agreement, and, and that's okay. I mean, anything that, that is innovative or, or new um, to, to anything, people that are comfortable in the way they're going about things, uh, they're going to have an issue with it. But um, I'm open to talk to anybody about it. I feel that the boxer manager agreement is, is perfect for um, entrepreneurs, business owners, which professional boxers are. Um, and there's been many fighters' careers that have been ruined um, because they've had the wrong management contract signed. So it's perfect to put something in place that protects them 
from not having their career railroaded by a guy that has never been in the ring before and someone that feels that they own um, the, the, the fighter. Again, this is a business. Um, it's not just a sport. So in respects of the business, um, putting things in place to make sure that things move forward for the boxer, that's what's most important for this sport. Awesome. And uh, how did you first get connected to boxing and uh, develop this passion for the sport? Um, what's weird, my brother, my brother died um, June 4th, 2006. Um, uh, we both came up in the inner city of Dallas. And my brother's older than me, bigger than me. And for whatever, a lot of butt whoopers, all of my locker because he, he watched the sport. He was a huge Mike Tyson fan. Um, so he knew how to, to box. Um, I was, of course, I'm five years younger than, than, than he was, so I was behind on learning things. But we both watched boxing. He introduced me to boxing, taught me how to box all the while. He was beating me up at the same time, but <laughs> I learned a lot from it. And uh, I took it to college with me to where I, I had an amateur career in college. I fought three years. Uh, I wasn't very good because, I mean, in the inner city, what they preach is either basketball or, or, or football. And I chose basketball, and it took me a long way. Um, but, you know, different politics involved, and uh, I decided to walk away from the sport of basketball and uh, pick up where I left off in boxing. And I had a great time uh, boxing in college, and I was mentoring kids at the same time. But uh, my brother introduced uh, boxing to me um, at a very young age, and I just picked it back up in college. And I figured, you know, what the hell? Like, if I, if I can't make it pro, um, at least I could possibly could meet some people and, and rub some elbows and get on the business side of things and, and make a living um, helping out professional athletes. I never thought um, what I initially planned for would actually come true uh, less than, than two years after I graduated from college with me representing a professional boxer. But uh, everything is um, attributed to my brother. That's why the, the release of the book is August the 14th which my brother was born on August the 14th, 1981. So my, my career is dedicated to my brother, but the book um, is also um, the, the present to my brother uh, for his birthday is me releasing that book on that particular day. So he's um, a big reason on why I, um, I um, began boxing or even interested in the sport. But uh, I have the in-ring and outside-the-ring experience. I'm not like most guys to where... Um, they just claim to be businessmen, but they just stands up the sport. Uh, I've actually been in. I've been stopped uh, before. I've, I've gotten wins before. I've gotten knockdowns before. I've been knocked down before. Training, dieting, all of that jazz. Um, I can empathize with the fighters and level with them better than someone else that just has a business background can. So uh, my brother's a big, um, big reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's awesome, man, and uh, condolences. I lost my sister a few years ago. Uh, she was just uh, just over the age of 21 there and uh, got into a car accident drinking for the first time. Her friend... Uh, Sorry to hear that, man. Sorry to hear that. Her friend ended up uh, meeting a guy at a bar, and so she had to drive home after having a few drinks, and next thing you know, that's it. So, uh, yeah, Condolences, man. Happens Condolences. Suddenly. But uh, I can definitely appreciate, uh, you know, wanting to give tribute like that. Uh, it's very important. So right. more power to you. Right. And uh, Tony and I actually boxed in college as well. That's how we got together to do this show. We, we, yes. almost, we almost fought each other. But, uh, really? Yep. Yeah. 98. 
So who who would have won the fight between you two in your prime? Oh, that's well, here's how I would say it. <laughs> it would depend on who dictated the style. Yeah. Rich was more of a boxer, um, had a very good jab, kept a very disciplined fight. I'm a straight-up Philadelphian. You know, I'm a guy that <laughs> likes to get in there. And my, my technique, because I'm a short, stocky guy, would be I was very aggressive, but my goal was to neutralize the opponent's jab. By catching the jab and countering. And then if I was able to catch and counter and then work my way inside, then open my body attack. So if I could neutralize Rich's jab, I would have an advantage. If Rich was able to keep me on the edge of his jab and dictate the pace, he would have the advantage. So it's like a chess match. I like it. Hey, maybe, maybe, maybe you guys can come out of retirement. We can get that fight going. Yeah. In, in, the, <laughs> in the next couple of months, I mean, Let's I think it'll really it. sell. We can really put that out there and get a good backing behind it. Yeah, we've been doing this show for years now. Jeez, it's got to be over almost ten years now. Yeah, yeah. That's wow, wow. No, congrats. No, it, it's good to to talk to guys that, uh, like I said, have the in ring experience. There's nothing against uh, guys that have not been in in the ring. I, I appreciate. Right, yeah. Uh, their their knowledge for the sport and them wanting to learn, but it's uh, it's really cool to talk to guys that may not have went pro, but they've been in before. They've been under the lights. They fought in front of the people before, so they understand what all comes with getting into the ring and being able to perform at a high level. It's much more than just uh, getting in the ring and throwing punches. There's so much that comes with uh, amateur and professional boxing. So big, uh, much respect to both of you guys. And what yeah. was the school? And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you one of the things that um, talk about a difference in two weeks. Because in college, um, and I went to a very small school in central Pennsylvania, Lock Haven University, but we were well known for our boxing team. National champions in 2007, about eight or nine years after I graduated. Um, but we would get one show a year. So my senior year, Rich was actually one of the opponents that was discussed. For me on that show they ended up picking a guy who took second in the nationals that year by the name of mike jordan but we announced him as michael because he looked like michael um yeah he really did look i mean literally like michael jordan you know i have the video on youtube and so i'm in front of almost three thousand of my classmates people from the town that knew me because i was a senior um, faculty members, friends, family, and I mean, the place was rocking and they were all behind me. Two weeks wow. later, I'm out in Reno, Nevada against the kid that Rich ended up beating in the Nationals that year um, named Brian Kerr. And, you know, now I was, you know, coming from where I was the popular guy to where I'm walking to the ring and the fans are saying, I hope you die tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, Adrian, talk about this one. I mean, this one could be another chapter in your book about protecting yourself. Uh, you got to protect your <laughs> reputation with your own teammates, too. This is the moral of, the, of this fight because uh, this was in Nationals, the first round of the Nationals. This kid from Reno, uh, I'm matched up with him in the first round, and a couple of his own teammates come over to me, and I don't know whether they were already out of the competition or they were just there to be there, but I never saw them fight themselves. These two kids come over to me, and they go, yeah, this guy you're fighting, um, we've got a couple tips for you. We, we hate his guts. He's an asshole. So here's what you do to beat him. 
Yeah, they go. Uh, he was actually born with his feet on the opposite side of his body, so they they had to cut him off and reattach him. <laughs> and these guys are totally straight face, you know. Yeah. They're not fucking with me. So, <laughs> so they go. All you got to do is move side to side and just you know keep your distance. He won't be able to catch up with you, and just keep hitting him. Cause they really they hated him that bad. They wanted to see him get beat up, and they're his own teammates. So <laughs> there's a lesson wow. for you. <laughs> and and I'll tell you to um, add on to that story, and and I can and I could see this because look, see, I fought him near the end of February that year, and then nationals was I think the first weekend in April, so it was about six weeks later. And when I got out to Reno, I my thing is, and I think this was my mo in college. Our coach would be willing to put me in with anybody at almost any weight class. And wow. so, yeah, and I, I got another story on that later. And you, you want to add something to your book, you'll love this one. Um, <laughs> but I'm going out to Reno. I'm fighting this kid, Brian Carr. I don't know nothing about him. So I'm out there, and I, you know, fly in that day from central Pennsylvania, literally like 12 hours worth of flights, layovers and all that. So I get out there. I'm ready to make weight. And I'm in the room waiting for the weigh-ins, and I'm looking on the wall, and I have a big article about this guy and, you know, about him overcoming this and that. So the guy, after he had one fight, was getting, you know, press in, in the school newspaper and the local newspapers. And I, I can appreciate that over what he overcame, but I could see where that was leaving resentment to other guys on his team that had been out there three and four years that were all Americans and he's getting more press than they are. So they could be saying, you know what? Hey, he's starting to, you know, believe his own press clippings. (laughs) Now, when I went out there to fight him and, and I'm out there and I'm walking to the ring because we had our pre-fight introductions. They brought all the fighters out for the entire show and they would introduce you and your opponent. You would shake hands. That's when I'm walking to the ring and a couple of the fans are like, we hope you die tonight. So now, um, Remember, I don't know this guy, so I don't know he's got oh, really. I saw one thing on an article about his his bad feet, but I didn't put two and two together that the guy is basically standing in cement. Um, so he's bigger than me, he's heavier than me, but I decide that my Philly machismo is going to kick in, and I'm going to try to take his head off. So first round, I hit him with a counter left hook and damn near put his head in about the third row, and unfortunately, it came back on. And after he wobbled, he shook it off. I thought I broke my left hand. So I hit him with a shot to the body in the second round. I hit him with a right hand. Now, I wasn't known for my right hand. I was known for my left hook. But that right hand should have knocked down a moose. And it put his head in about the second row. It came back on. He shook that one off. I thought I broke my right hand. So now my legs are going because I'm all jet lagged. You know, I'm three hours on a time difference. I don't know what day it is. You know, and he ends up doing a rally to get the decision. And the whole time, the one coach was working with me. He's like, why are you not, like, dancing around him? And I'm saying, hell no. I want to take his head off to show these guys that they want me to die tonight, that I'm going to embarrass their boy in front of them. First time a crowd ever got to me. So now now the other thing that was funny, talking about that, um, my, my college coach, I was basically like the workhorse of the team, you know, it was, and and I didn't care. We had other guys on the team. Oh, I have to fight so-and-so. Oh, well, he was an All-American last year. You know, I got to fight him in his home gym or, and they, and you, there was a lot of, you know, 
oh, this and that. Me, I didn't care. You tell me when, where, what weight. Let's go. So my uh, junior year, I should have actually sat out my junior year because I had knee surgery. It was actually 20 years ago this past weekend. And one doctor thought I was done. He says the damage in there from the calcification on the one side of your femur, you have so much irritation in there, you probably shouldn't do this no more. And I said, I'm 19 years old. No, that's not going to happen. So they, the, uh, the surgeon went in there, did the surgery. I rehabbed for eight weeks. I go back to school. You know, I don't really have trainers working with me now, like physical trainers. And so I'm doing the rehab on my own. And I just wasn't 100% all year. And then I was having trouble running and getting my weight down. So the coach is like, can you take a fight at 190? Sure. So I took a fight at 190. That was like January 30th. We get ready for the fights the next week, and I'm down to about 185, maybe 183, 184. And I'm like, I can cut down to 180 if necessary. He goes, can you take a fight at heavyweight? I said, excuse me? Take a fight at heavyweight. So I took a fight at heavyweight against a guy who was 6'3", you know, 210. He outweighed me by about 25 pounds. We ended up becoming good friends. We auditioned for the one Rocky movie together. You know, went to a Gotti fight in Atlantic City together years later. The next week, I ended up fighting a guy that also was a two-time national champion at heavyweight, was a Navy SEAL a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, I remember that video. So now I took, well, yeah, one fight at 192 at heavyweight. I am now weighing 179. They're like, take a fight at 180. I said, thank you. That's where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> so I took a fight at 180. I'll take another fight at 180. I'm about 178 now. I'm feeling great. You know, we break for spring break. We come back five days before the regional tournament. And the first night we get back, we do a little sparring, you know, a little skipping rope. And then the next night we're there, we're doing a pretty heavy workout. And coach says, fighting at 180 for the regionals. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's where I was expected to be. And then the next night he keeps looking at me. He's like, what'd you weigh out tonight? I said, well, after the workout was done, I weighed about 176, you know? But that's because I was sweating my ass off. He's like, any chance you make it to 165 by Friday? Oh. <laughs> uh. Wow. I'm like, that's like, not, that's like two and a half days from now. And he looked at me. I looked at him. I said, let's do it. Wow. So I killed myself. The last day of the weigh-in, I was in a sauna with two teammates. They, were, they had the door locked on me because I couldn't stay in there much longer. I was hallucinating. <laughs> and Man. so I made it to 165, lost in the regional finals because I had nothing left. So we go to nationals, and he's like, you're fighting at 172 for the Nationals. I'm like, praise Jesus, I can actually eat something. <laughs> All right. So, wow. 190, heavyweight, 180, 165, 172. Between the dates of January 30th and April 11th. Nobody's yeah, ever done that to yeah, that's Philly blood for sure, man. That's the Pennsylvania yeah. finest. Yeah, you deserve, you deserve yeah. that war for that, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I asked my one coach a couple years ago, and I was like, um, hey, has, uh, has anybody done that since, the five weight classes and all that? He goes, done it since. He goes, nobody's stupid enough to attempt that. In fact, we've made it illegal. <laughs> I said, that's awesome. I said, my record broken. He said, no, he broke it. was never attempted. <laughs> No, man, kudos, kudos to you. I mean, we need, well, I'm not going to say we need more stories like that because we don't, hopefully, 
your story is the last <laughs> story that we hear about. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys jumping weight classes like that so high, but uh, that's what it's about, man, having those experiences and being able to, to tell those stories. Now I can actually tell someone, like, yo, I know a guy that fought five weight classes or six weight classes in the amateurs, and it's a factual story, not something made up, but uh, that's, a, that's yep. a great story and a great experience. Yeah, you know what? In fact, I don't know if you guys saw the trailer yet. Um, the trailer for the Vinny Paz movie, Vinny Pazienza, just came out last week. His um, his his life story is being made into a movie now, and the uh, one trailer for it, like the first thing when he was about to fight Roger Mayweather, um, like they're waiting in the weigh-in, and there's Vinny in his um in his hotel room on a bike, and they're wrapping him in Saran wrap, <laughs> and, and wow. he's riding a bike like crazy, and he's like. Just tell him I'll be there. Tell him I'll be there. And um, and I remember that because I remember this. I was still in my early teens when he had those fights because um, I was 15 when he broke his neck. When I was 91. So this was maybe around 89, 90. And I remember, you know, those fights. And I just remember thinking, like, I remember him, you know, and he was doing so good. And these fights, I'm like, he he didn't look good. Not was he just not winning, but he looked like so lethargic in there. And he was like not throwing a lot of punches. I'm like early in his career, he was like a whirlwind out there. And then right. years later, finding out like he was killing himself so bad to make weight. And after that Mayweather fight, like his body went into shock. And right. they were in the hospital, and they thought he was gonna die. Wow, wow. You know that happens. And then like man, they they killed they killed themselves to make the weight and like with all the technology and the, the advanced technology we have these days there are certain nutritional plans or whatever to make it easier on guys uh to to cut weight or whatever it may be but uh that's the downfall of a lot of guys in the sport to where they take so much time off or they they get off the diet plan in the, in the heart of their careers and they have to lose 25 or 30 pounds to get ready for fights um, and it and it it, 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 uh, it shortens their their careers in a sense, but that's a problem that yeah that's been dated all the way back to um, almost the beginning of time for boxing guys struggling to make the weight. Yeah, and then when they don't yeah, weigh, no, no, no. they don't weigh in on point, and then they got to pay the other guy half their purse sometimes. Jesus. Yeah, you know that's um that's a situation that happened. You know when um a guy I, I worked for, Dave, uh, James De La Rosa. Uh, we were scheduled to fight David Lemieux earlier this year, and um, uh, I don't, I don't know the situation. I don't know what really happened. I, I just know that they weren't willing to negotiate. But uh, the fight was supposed to be at 163. Uh, we, we pretty much all the concessions that they wanted, uh, we accommodated fighting in, in uh, Lemieux's hometown, picking the weight that he wanted to fight at, uh, the, the arena that he wanted to fight at. Uh, everything was put in place for. Lemieux is once we get to the weigh-ins, you know, you know, we're, we're all fighters, so we can look at someone and tell that they're kind of heavy or if they're going to be on weight. And he just his face looks so full. And I was like, there's no yeah, way man. he's going to make 63. And once he steps on the scale, um, it, it pretty much says 66. And I'm like, wait, like, wait, what's the fight supposed to be at 63? What is what is 165.8? Like he didn't even try. But what really got me was when he stepped off the scale and he starts drinking a Pedialyte like he made the weight. And I'm like, wait, hmm. now yeah. he's rehydrating right in front of us. So um, the fight, we actually we walked away from the, the fight because at that point, I mean, this guy's a super middleweight. 
um, almost like heavyweight. He's going to come in the ring with no rehydration clause. Uh, I wanted, at that point, I wanted light heavyweight or super middleweight money for that fight to happen. They didn't want to pay it. And it's like, wait, like, did he just not try to make the weight or did he struggle? Like, you guys didn't, didn't tell me anything. And we've been in Canada for a week. So um, I, I understand the weight thing is so important because it's the respect. It's the professionalism of both fighters. If we contract at 63, then make 63 or be under 63. Um, to me, there's no conversation with a guy coming in, especially over a pound. You start talking about three pounds, it, just, it becomes disrespectful. Um, at, at that point, and somebody needs to to, to pay up, and it's the, the fighter that should be the one that pays up. But um, I'm I've, I'm all too familiar with people coming in overweight, um, and us have to make the adjustment from it. Yeah, big no no. Well, huge no no, huge. It happens. Uh, what What did you say you, uh, is the one thing you love most about boxing? Um. To be honest, man, just um, seeing guys, and it boils, to me it always boils back down to the fighters. Uh, I love the sport as a whole, uh, just the competition of men or women, hand-to-hand comeback and, and, and pretty much playing chess uh, with, with, with your fists and with your feet uh, pretty much. But seeing guys just, just as hard as they work in the gyms, man, and the total sacrifice they take of not working corporate jobs, not having health and life benefits, um, not having a 401k, like not having any of that, but just trusting in their hands and their ability um, to to entertain and to uh, beat guys uh, in hand-to-hand combat. Uh, it's just it's so beautiful, man, to to watch that. And then once the guys actually do get to, to their dreams, whether they triumph or they fall short, just the journey to get there, uh, it's it's utterly amazing. And to watch a fighter. Uh, be able to change his family's life with a uh, with a paycheck, with a fight, or to see fans or people that watch them on TV, they recognize them and they want to pitch an autograph. Like that, to me, um, is, is an amazing thing. Uh, speaking from a business uh, owner, entrepreneur standpoint, building yourself from from nothing, taking all the down pitfalls and the sacrifice, all of that to get to your dream. That means everything to me and for professional boxing uh that's one of my favorite things about the sport besides two guys in the ring strategically going at it to dismember or, or outwill the other guy it's the the outer ring experience of guys uh getting to, to their dream or changing their family's lives changing their lives for that matter um that's that means a lot to me that means everything to me awesome good stuff now, is there anybody you want to give a shout out to or thank before we let you go? Um, I actually, I want to thank, um, I want to thank the, the guys that trust me to to handle their careers. Um, James De La Rosa, uh, Jerry Belmont has more than than anyone because I started my career at 24 years old, representing the then 11 and 0 Jerry Belmont as at um, junior lightweight, um, amazing guy, amazing family guy. But I, I thank him. Um, and the book, actually, to open up the entire book, there's a, a, a big thank you to Jerry because without him, I'm uh, not saying that I wouldn't be here, but it would have been a much longer road uh, getting here if it wasn't for him um, asking me to be his manager at, at 11 and 0. But also, I would encourage everyone to go to everlast.com, 
uh, click on the Team Everlast hashtag, which is on the far right-hand side of the column, and follow my video blogs. I've, um, I've, Everlast is, is pretty much backing the video blog that I'm doing, uh, which is titled Protect Yourself at All Times Video Blog. Uh, I'm going to do two video blogs per week. Um, I actually just recorded uh, episode two today, and I'm going to go over every chapter of my book. So my book signing is August the 13th here in Dallas, and that'll be the last episode of um, the Protect Yourself at All Times video blog on Everlast.com. But uh, twice a week, all the way up until August the 13th, I will be summarizing each chapter of my book um, in three minutes or less for uh, the professional fighters or just the casual fight fans that want to understand more about the business. Um, Everlast and I are doing something amazing uh, with getting the word out for the fighters to further protect themselves. So, again, uh, Everlast.com, uh, hashtag Team Everlast, and you'll see uh, my picture with Jerry Belmont as you click on there. The video is three minutes. Um, and three minutes is very informative, right to the point, just as the book will be. Um, and um, I'm looking to educate and to inform uh, not only the fighters, but everyone that's included with them. But more, uh, lastly, thank you guys for thinking to have me on. Um, I look forward to exchanging information with you guys and keeping in contact so that when I come to Philadelphia or when we're at big fights, we can, uh, we can all get together and um, swap some stories and maybe even put the gloves on if you guys are still for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm actually uh, <laughs> training for mixed martial arts now, but uh, I do uh, obviously have a nice boxing background, and uh, I, I'm uh, trying to get my first amateur mixed martial arts fight in before the end of this year. And the next big card is September 10th. It's a league up in Maine. I'm in New Hampshire. And... Uh, huh? Yeah, but uh, Tony, Tom, and I all need to get together somewhere, and probably Philly is going to be the best place. <laughs> yeah, or a matter of fact, um, I, I do work for Willie Monroe, who uh, we re-signed a deal with Banner, which um, Banner Promotions is based out of Philadelphia, but Willie is from Rochester, New York. His last fight was uh, at Turning Stone uh, Casino, which is, I think, in Verona. New York the same weekend of the the International Boxing Hall of Fame, but I think in October we're looking to schedule something, whether it be Philadelphia or somewhere on the East Coast, for Willie to make his return um, uh, on Showtime. So I would love to invite you guys to the fight and get your tickets and um, get to know you guys a little bit more from there. Yeah, definitely, that'd be awesome. Good deal. We could make it happen. But thank you guys for having me. No, no, I, I can definitely make it happen. But thank you guys for having me. I, I, I totally enjoy it. I know I talked a lot, but thank you guys for, for yeah, yeah. We got a lot yeah. of time. So. That's what we like in a guest. The guest is good at talking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And we can also find you at the website there, right? Uh, you got... Uh... Yeah, AC. Uh, my, my, my management company is uh, AC Sports, M as in management.com. Um, looking to revamp my, my website in the next week. So uh, what you see, um, you won't see after next week. It'll be something. It'll be something different. Um, you can pick up my last book, my first book, my debut book. It's titled uh, "I," the lowercase "I," a guide for young entrepreneurs. Uh, you can get that on Everlast.com, and you can also pick it up at Barnes and Nobles. Um, of course, the Boxer Manager Agreement is on YouTube. 
Uh, I have a lot going on <laughs> these days, but awesome. um, to, continue to, to support life. me, whether it be uh, reading the books or following the video blog, whatever lasts, or keeping up with um, my guys uh, that I work for on my website, acsportsm.com, or you can follow me on Twitter, the Adrian Clark, uh, at the Adrian Clark, or on Facebook at Adrian Clark. I'm I'm an entertaining follow on Facebook. I don't really say much on Twitter, but uh, either way, I just I appreciate the support from anyone who's looking to uh, bring innovation to boxing and to most importantly look out for the professional athletes. Definitely, yeah, and it, and it really is a place for a union across all combat sports. I think more so than just in boxing, because I mean now you're you're having. Uh, people in the mixed martial arts world talking about bringing the Muhammad Ali Act to MMA and there's big resistance there so I think on both sides of the fence there it's needed yeah. Yeah. No, it, it needs to be put into play I mean now that now that uh, Mr. Mr. Ali is, uh, is passed on um, right. we, people should really the business should really respect his name or anything associated with it and um, the, the, the Muhammad Ali reform uh, needs to be actually all, all we need is one and that's something that I'm definitely going to go after um, after uh, my book comes out and things really get to rolling um, all we need is one example so we, all we need is one uh, promoter that's posing as a manager or whatever it may be all we need is one to be uh, prosecuted and they get that $100,000 fine and their license is revoked for a year once that happens it doesn't matter if it starts at the top or at the bottom once one person is hit with it, they're the example. And the example is set from there that if you violate the Muhammad Ali Act, uh, you will be prosecuted and you will get that $100,000 fine. And whether it be your license revoked for a year or you spend a year in jail, if we get one person that um, is the example, everybody else will fall in line because they don't want to lose that money. They don't want to lose their freedom from there. Um, the sport will be a little bit better than what it has been. And I do encourage it for um, MMA, although I don't know much about the sport. It'd be great for it to be there across the board. Right. Awesome. Well, we've enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, you have a good night, and uh, we'll definitely be in touch by email, and uh, we'll send you the link once the show goes live, of course. All right. Sounds good. If you guys need anything, it's my cell phone number, and you have my email address, so feel free to contact me whenever, guys. Awesome. Thanks a lot. You have a good night. All right, take care. You too. Peace. All right. Bye-bye. So there you have it. That's uh, that's our, uh, our new friend, Adrian Clark. He's going to invite us down to the big fights. Awesome stuff. So just going to give me an excuse to go to Philadelphia, Tony. All right. I love it. You're going to have to take me to a Phillies game. No, it's in October. So okay. They're going to have to be in the championship then. Well, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you you really have to admire Adrian for for stepping up into an almost impossible situation. I mean, this is so long overdue. Yeah. It's been tried so many ways, but uh, you know who knows? Maybe maybe there's the right time for everything. But I keep you know, I was thinking about that movie Requiem for a Heavyweight. Just couldn't get that yeah. out of my head. And I think everyone should watch that. And uh, you know this uh, the uh, DVD they have on Amazon has that scene cut out at the end when Jackie Gleason's trying to talk that young guy out of becoming a fighter. Right. But, uh, you know, this just reminds me, this is so, 
so overdue. I mean, these guys come from zero to, to all of a sudden what they fall into, and uh, you wonder why they're broke three years later. Just we're not ready for it. Right. Definitely good stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's a big uh, shift from the uh, Rocky Marciano days, that's for sure, where Al Wild took 50% of Rocky Marciano's money. <laughs> Al Wild's the kind of guy, it's like, you know, he would take 50%, and then he'd have it set up where it's like any of like the sanctioning fees and any of like the um, licensing fees and any of that uh, would come out of Rocky's part of the 50%. Of course, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and trust me, that, that's not a that's not a joke. I mean, I'm not saying that definitely about Al Wild, um, but that's the kind of manager that he was. And I know managers that would do that. Fighters get and say, and I'm just going to use an easy number here, you know, $5,000, all right? So then I say, okay, it's 2500 for each of us. So the, um, you know, the license, that comes out of yours. And, you know, if there's any sanctioning fees, which in a small fight there wouldn't be, um, but, you know, and anything else, you know, the taxes and all that, that comes out of yours. So I walk away with 2500 you walk away with 1000 Now, here's another Rocky Marciano thing regarding Al Wild, who Rocky hated. Rocky despised. Um, they had an article that if Rocky was set to do any type of appearance or anything like that, he would demand cash. Yeah. And he would even accept 50% of the promised fee if it was cash. So, hey, Rocky, we're going to pay you um, $1,000 for this. Is it cash? No, we got a check for you. I don't want it. Listen, you go back. You go back and you'll get me $500 in cash. All right? You go back and get me $500 in cash because you can't track cash. So, to Al, Rocky didn't get anything. <laughs> right? And that way, Rocky, either way, would walk out of there with $500, but he was seen until Al got $0. Right. Well, that was the speculation, too, with the whole plane crash that killed him, is that he was running around the country doing all these appearances because he had to make money because Al Wild stole all his hard-earned income. <laughs> yeah. So one of those things that can literally well, kill you. Well, have bad part of that's true. Part of that's true, but not all of it's true. Um, Rocky was big on hiding money, because um, even his daughter said it. Um, I had an I had an old Sports Illustrated article, uh, which was about the 25th anniversary of Rocky's death. So that would have came out around September of '94, and his daughter Marianne was coming out and you know telling the story, and she was like, you know. He was so obsessed with, and it was funny, he, he was two extremes. He was obsessed with saving money, but he would just give his mother bags of money. You know, and a lot of it came from the fact, you know, he watched his father slave at the shoe mill, you know, covered in sweat, you know, um, doing all that, um, you know, making the shoes. And he's like, I'm never doing that, never doing that. And he's like, and he's like, he always felt bad for his father having to do all that. So he always would, you know, just give his mother bags of money, but like do whatever you want with it. But then the other thing was like, he wouldn't give you a dime. So if like Rocky was going out to dinner, he never picked up the check. And he would, and his, um, and it was Ali Colombo that the one time they were out and Ali was feeling bad about it. And he goes, 
hey, um, and he went to reach for the check, and Rocky pulled him aside. I was like, you don't ever do that. These people, they want to be with me. They want my company. So they're going to pay. And that was, you know, Rocky's thing, you know. Um, and he had no shame about that. You know, they said, like, one time um, a, a telephone, a pay for telephone, like, took his dime. He not only ripped the phone off the wall, he ripped every phone off the wall. <laughs> yeah, um, and that was in that article as well. I'm going to see if I can, I'm going to look online tonight to see if I can find it, and then I'll send you guys the link if I do. But it's a great story about Rocky, um, and it just talks about, you know, his, his extremes with, with money. And they said that there were times he would have money and then, you know, not even remember where it was. <laughs> you know, he would, he would forget where he hid it sometimes. And we pulled Marianne one time, one time, they were like down like a basement or something. And he looked and he found like this, you know, uh, board that was kind of loose. And he's like, ooh, that's going to be a good place to hide money. Hmm. So that, that was, you know, uh, and a lot of it, I guess, was, you know, growing up during the Great Depression era, you know, watching his father suffer so much, uh, watching his family suffer in a way. Um, so, yeah, the, definitely kind of an extreme there. Yeah, pretty cool. Oh, it's also cool that, uh, you know, our guest from last week, James Krause, uh, came at the uh, relationship with the UFC the same way that uh, Adrian looks at uh, how boxers should look at uh their careers too, the business side first. Funny. Yeah. But uh, good show. Thanks everybody for uh, chipping in. Thanks for having me. And uh, we got a lot of MMA to watch, a little bit of boxing. I'm sure Kovalev is mm -hmm. going to do well this weekend, and uh, maybe we'll actually see him fight uh, Andre Ward one of these days. It'd be nice. Ward or Stevenson, either one, I'll take it. And uh, one last thing, too. Uh, Manny Pacquiao's uh, management team has said, uh, no, this uh, rumor about him coming back in October is not true. He is not coming back. Uh, but it doesn't eliminate uh, him coming back at all. Just It's not going to be this October, so don't, uh, don't expect anything there. All right, that's all I got. Unless you guys got anything else. That is all. All right. All right, guys, busy weekend, yep. man, busy yeah. weekend, lots of stuff. So we'll talk about pleasure? next week. Yep, All right, let's enjoy it. Start making plans to go, to go to Philly in October, Tom. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll be around. All right. We'll see you.